Okay. So, hello everyone. Uh, welcome to Skits Up RC Heli podcast, the podcast that just keeps on coming. And uh, I just noticed that we are 26 at 6. So every 26th of the month at 6 a.m. is when this podcast is released, which makes up for a funny coincidence, in fact. We didn't actually plan for it, but that's how it ended up being. So um, welcome to uh, all of our listeners that keep on um, putting up with us every single month. And I think that this time it's going to be really worth your while because we have a really, really cool and knowledgeable guest. So that'll be awesome. So let's go first into our quick introduction. So uh, Frank, say hi. Say hi. Say hi. Awesome. And uh, Canadian Darren, say hi. How's it going, eh? Awesome. And today we have a great guest. Uh, we have Chad Rain. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Do we do we have an American? Do we have an American, Darren? Because this is the first time you threw in the Canadian. What oh, we have to we have to make our, our podcast international. <laughs> well, you know we're, we're being very patriotic now. Okay, that sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm the crazy Mexican. He's the crazy Canadian. You're the, you're the crazy Floridian. So it all works out. Okay, I'll, I'll take that. You know, it's okay. not. It's a little different than usual. You're, you're you're spinning things around. I like it. I like it. Yeah, Go ahead. yeah, yeah. We have to we have to spice it up, or else our listeners are gonna drop. They're gonna think that we're just running reruns. You mean we're not? <laughs> one day, one day they'll find out that about the chat Chat GPT engine behind all of this. <laughs> Alrighty. So today we have a great guest, Chad Rains from Progressive RC, who is a very knowledgeable guy uh, that is fantastic that he's joining us to talk about uh, a little bit about batteries and charging. So welcome, Chad. Hey, everybody. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So let's get right into it. So let's get into a quick roundup, a quick round robin of our updates, and then we'll dive right in into, I'm pretty sure, what everyone wants to hear about which is, you know, a, a relatively technical topic today with Chad, who's very knowledgeable on that topic. So let's get started with, uh, what about you, Darren? Let's start, uh, let's start north and, uh, let's get started with you with your updates. Well, I have done pretty much absolutely zilch, zero zip, nothing in the hobby since we last recorded. That's um, too bad. We're supposed to be an RC Heli podcast, even if you're just wrenching. Yeah, well, so I didn't talk about it a whole lot. I haven't said much on the podcast or anything like that, but things are getting pretty bad here in Canada right now with the way, with things between Mac and Transport Canada and Nav Canada. Things are going downhill fast, unfortunately, right now as of today. So today we're recording... March 28th, this podcast will get released April 26th, so there's a lot of things that could change, but unfortunately, I'm grounded because our government is trying to implement laws that, in my opinion, are unreasonable, and so I'm not flying because I, at this point, don't really want to go and follow with those laws. And so I'm currently not flying. And unfortunately, because of that, uh, I've just haven't really been motivated to do anything then either. 
The only thing I have done is I have talked to my local member of parliament, who's part of the federal government, and I have a few things in discussion with him that maybe we can improve things for the future, but unfortunately he's unable to do anything for the immediate future. It's more long-term future that he might, might be able to do something. But other than that, yeah, not a whole lot. My dad had a knee replacement surgery as well, and things have not been going very well with his recovery. So I've been making a lot of trips back and forth to Kamloops as well to go and help out with my parents. I'm actually going to be heading back out there for the next two weekends in a row to help them out again. And so I haven't really even had a whole lot of time to do editing of the podcast or anything like that or anything in the hobby really. So yeah, that's really about it. There's been nothing else. I haven't even flown indoor. I haven't flown anything. I haven't even touched my helicopters. I've looked at them, but that's about it. That's so bad. Well, uh, the best for your dad. The, the first for your dad, Darren. Wish, mm-hmm. uh, wish him a speedy recovery. Yeah, it's been tough. It's definitely been tough. Infection and a blood clot all at the same uh, time. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I wish you the best, my friend. So Yeah, hope, hope the best for you. Mm-hmm. Sorry to hear that. So, Anyways, how about Frank? Uh, well, let's 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 end up on a positive note with Frank, shall we? I'll go next. Oh, I'm, I'm that hoping, doesn't sound good. <laughs> I'm hoping yeah, that this, Frank this. will be able to save us. Uh, you, I'm the saver again. Okay, I can take that. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, I I have just like you, but for completely different reasons. I haven't done anything on the hobby either. Uh, it's been a complicated month. Um, we'll switch over to a little bit to to Javier's home improvement. Uh, or well, more like home fixing. Uh, well, I had a, I had a leak on my dishwasher and basically it destroyed my kitchen floor because, the, you know, it was, it was hardwood and, uh, it, 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 it became bad pretty fast. Um, we didn't notice it because all the water was sitting below a, one of those mats that, that are kind of like foam that, that are used for people to, to stand on the same place without, without getting tired, you know, those fatigue mats. So we heard it squish, but we thought it was the, uh, the mat because it's foam. So we thought that it was filled with water. So when we took it out, we saw that, you know, the whole floor was getting black. So we checked and we saw that the, that the dishwasher was leaking. Then the, the shut off valve was not working. So we could not stop the leak. Uh, it went really bad, really fast. So, um, we had to get someone to, to help us out first, you know, fix the plumbing and, uh, change the valve so that we could stop the, the water. Then, um, we had to go and basically go and, and start picking new floors. And thankfully I got, um, uh, you know, you know, I got, uh, my yearly bonus at work. So that, uh, that was fortunate or unfortunate because I could not use it for anything else. <laughs> I had to end up using it for that. So um, we went and picked up some floors and we had to tear down the floor and, uh, well, get someone to tear, tear up the floor and put in a new floor. They also had to, you know, cut down a piece of plywood underneath that was starting to, to grow mold. Uh, it was very nasty. But finally, it all, it all ended well and um, it all worked out. So that has, of course, been consuming a lot of my, of my time to make sure that that worked out, you know, to get people to do the work and stuff and 
then go and pick the floor and uh, yada yada. So it was it was a lot of work, but finally it's uh, it's behind me now. So I haven't done you know nothing nothing on the hobby. The only hobby that I've been doing something in, uh, as I shared with you guys, I'm I'm also a big PC gaming fan. So um, Resident Evil Four Remaster came out, and my since my my birthday is actually this Friday. Uh, my my wife decided to gift me uh, the pre-order of Resident Evil 4 on Steam. So I got that, and as soon as it was released, I said, I'm sorry, it's not yet my birthday, but I'm going to start playing it. So I took a little bit of time uh, to to play it. So um had a lot of fun there. But yeah, uh, nothing, 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 nothing on, on the hobby. Um, uh, because the next step is basically to finish saving up for the parts of the raw to complete it, I have, you know, a very detailed spreadsheet of everything that I need to buy, and I've broken it out into feasible chunks, but, you know, of course, everything everything changed when we had to do the floor thing. But, you know, other than that, I'm still proceeding with the plan. I'm hoping that uh, within the next month, I'm going to be able to start uh, ordering parts to finally finish this thing so that I can actually fly it this season. Um, other than that, I've been uh, sometimes busy writing a little bit, researching a lot on that topic, which has become another rabbit hole. <laughs> but uh, but it's been fun. It's been fun to try to get my mind away from uh, from all the stuff since you know it's been too cold. It's it snowed like a couple of days before, uh, you know ago, so I haven't I haven't been able to you know fly what I have that's in, that's in flying condition. You know, besides the raw, you know, I still have helicopters in flying condition. So, um, but the weather hasn't helped. So I've been unable to do anything in the hobby because the only thing that I could do is fix the raw. And for that, I need to order parts. But other than that, um, I'm going to turn it over to Frank, which I really hope that can save us because that was pretty pathetic. So I'm going to try to bring in some positivity into this podcast today. Please, it's please It's do. a little different. <laughs> it's a little different. So, <laughs> please. So last time we talked about, I already talked about the the XL powered nitro that just just coming out. Yeah, uh, I'm testing the Evo fly barless system. That's one of the great pros of living only an hour and a half from Mikado USA and also being a, a V team pilot. So testing one of those bad boys out. I'm jealous. It's, you should be. It's it's everything that it that has been hyped up to be. I'm running the, uh, oof, that's bad. Uh, Torque uh, HLXs, which I can run down to 760. And it really is nice. It holds it, the processor power on. It's definitely visible. Maneuvers that I couldn't do before, I couldn't do well before. Uh, I'm not saying that it's making it better, but I think it's holding the, uh, like the heading hold on the tail, it's just it's improved significantly from the Neil to this one. At least it's working for me on one of my machines. So once again, I'm not the greatest pilot, but I can do a maneuver or two. And so that you say even the tail holds better? Yeah, man. Holy shit, dude. Like before I would always I, I've been having this issue, like if I really swing a hurricane around or a, a funnel at a high head speed, at a at a fast movement, I tend to get a little bit of a tail kick. Because it's trying to recover, or at least on my other one. Mm-hmm. And granted, I, I have two identical machines. The only thing that's different than one ESC wires are longer than the other, but everything else is the same on it. So I can have a pretty good 
checks and balance to what they used to be and what it is now. So, so far it's been really good. I've enjoyed it a lot. Actually, I got some tuning tips from a fellow Canadian, Diego, Diego Ars. He came down to my event and we spent a bunch of time flying. Cool. And, and Dimitri as well. So it was really, really cool having some guys that uh, come to my event all the way from Canada that are not colleagues and partners on a podcast, you know, just saying. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> We'll we'll uh, we'll do what we can yet. We'll 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 do what we can yet. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so that on the that front, I've been flying my nitro after getting my uh, even with the messed up motor and everything, it's still flying really good. I got to <laughs> yeah, I, I kid you not. I should know better, but yeah, I I definitely uh, messed up the first engine. So that's that, and so my event started out. Uh, so big pictures, saying the big words, it was the biggest one I've done to date. I had 59 pilots. We literally nice. almost we almost tripled the amount of money that we made for the club from last year to this year. We were $300 shy of that. Wow. And I would have tripled. Yeah. So I'm definitely going to be uh, telling my president of the club that, you know, uh, that he should at least give me a free membership next year. That's going to be one of <laughs> No, I, I wouldn't accept it. But yeah, I do got a little crap about it. So, yeah, so we had so many great pilots. We had people from, uh, like I said, Canada, Diego. He came down. He flew amazingly. He's actually a team pilot for XL Power. We had guys from Iowa come, like, driving. Like, that's a long-ass drive. It was like, it took him three days to get back. Wow. So, that was that was it. That was very interesting to me. We had uh, Burke Hammer came to the event. Jamie Robertson, Mitch Morosa, uh, so pretty some pretty uh, um, the guys from the Heliheads were there. You know, again, a competitor podcast came down to visit me and my own two colleagues over here. Don't. Uh, and what else I had? Um, Christopher Diamante. Christopher Diamante. He came. He was just out of this world. And Justin Cook came back from. We want to say semi-retirement or just taking some time off. And that kid did not lose a beat. Holy moly. Some of the flights that he put on this weekend were just out of this world. Out of this world. So wow. I'm, extremely, I'm extremely happy that he's back. He's actually also um, has joined the, the Maniacs team. So I, I got some really good talent on my team. So I'm pretty blessed with that. We had lots of fun, man. We saw a like a... $30,000 scale helicopter, bite the dirt, which Ooh. it hurt, which it hurt, man. It hurt, but it was, it was pretty bad. I've never felt so much pain. And I see, I see like $20, $25,000, $30,000 jets crash all the time in my club because it's just what it is. You know, some of those guys have more money than brains, but I still, it was still a little crazy to see that, that big thing crash. What happened? And, what kind of helicopter was it? I, it's scale sigma bobby with uh, <laughs> do we know what caused the crash yeah bad servo Ooh, that hurts yeah yeah it was pretty it was pretty horrific but it got all figured out so there was that raised a bunch of money for my club doing some more testing on the nitro still in one piece actually i had bert and mitch morosa fly holy crap 
they liked it both. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Is there uh, video? No, 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 I couldn't do any video. I don't want to. <sighs> I don't want to hurt. I don't want to hurt them when they're sponsors. Ah. Uh. So there was that. Uh, JC Sankel is also at the event. Such a great guy, dude. Just a wealth of information. Really under. Really has a passion for the hobby that can't be measured easily. Like it's just crazy. Eh? Hmm. Uh, super happy that he was able to make it. So we had great giveaways from Soxas, XL Power, Scorpion, Maniacs, Pulse, Torque, X Nova. They get we gave away one of the new R's for Goose Guy. And it was awesome that this young man won it. So super happy. Cool. It was uh it, it was like um twelve or thirteen year old kid that his father used to belong to the club. So I'm super happy for that that he got it. Um Anything anything else spectacular? No, man, just had a great event. Got to spend some time with some good friends. Uh, I kind of do it selfishly now to uh, to run my events because I, then I get all my friends from up north to come visit me. Except for my two podcast brothers, you know. They never come and visit me. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, last week, last week, I went flying again like I did. And I'm hopefully trying to finish up my big 120cc plane uh, within the next couple of weeks. I got everything. I just need to order one thing so I can drill my own prop. So uh, other than that, man, really excited. Looking forward to this year's flying season. Cool. And I'm, I'm heading. And I'm heading next month. I think in a month, I'm going to be going to the Virginia Spring Fling. So I look forward to see, hear, seeing some uh, listeners there. Cool. Well, I can say probably the only way I might be able to get to fly this year is if I go down to U.S. Fun Fly. We'll see. But one of these days, it will happen. It will happen. All right. Uh, well, I've been sitting here recovering from uh, from a bloody forehead from a rock that got thrown all the way down from Florida. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was, but I it think was that, meant to, that, that's uh, fair. It was, that's fair. It was meant to be a brick. that's fair that's fair all right so um so is that is that is that it frank yes that's it all righty nice so let's get started with mr chad so uh chad why don't you give us a quick rundown of your time in the hobby i think that it's always interesting you know to learn how people got started in the hobby you mentioned that you know you did some uh, some helicopters you did some planes you know, you're doing FPP. So, you know, let us know a little bit of how you got started in the hobby, uh, you know, what you're doing today, and then we can segue into, you know, a little bit more technical uh, into batteries and chargers. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, it was sometime around uh, 2011, and uh, I got my first drone, and uh, somebody said, hey, you can get more range from it by doing these modifications. And I was not technical at all, but uh, I got bored and I decided to do it. So, uh, you know, ripped this thing apart, soldered in a PPM receiver and uh, used a normal remote to fly this um, like Parrot AR drone thing, you know, hmm. uh, ne- <laughs> nearly, nearly 13 years ago and uh, went to I the hobby store. Things. Yeah, yeah, they were the they were kind of the first one, you know, DJI kind of poked their head up around the same time. But uh, but the AR drone was one of the one of the very first. So. Uh, commercial, uh, anyway, 
so I went into a local hobby store with actually with aspirations to put the video system on an RC car and drive it around my neighborhood. That's what I wanted to do. And they were like, well, that's dumb. Buy an, buy an RC plane. And I was like, what? <laughs> they were like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, if you want to do FPV, put it on a plane or, or a drone. And, uh, I started flying, you know, uh, Horizon Hobby, uh, e-flight, uh, UMX planes, you know, park zone and, uh, e-flight, uh, UMX, uh, little planes and slowly got into some, some bigger, you know, kind of 3D planes like Visionaire and stuff like that. And, uh, I've probably spent more money on what is it? Is it the, the Blade Nano CPX? Like the original one, <laughs> I've probably put $10,000 into like, I'm not kidding, like 14 of those little things, destroyed them, <laughs> completely build them up, Raycon Heli, everything, every single thing. And, um, you know, that was a really bad decision in life to do that. <laughs> so I don't recommend that at all. Um, and I, I think, you know, I, I've, some friends saw, I, I got fairly good at, I mean, fairly good for flying these little micro 3D helis. I could do some TikToks and stuff like that, but, uh, barely before the tail would blow out. And, uh, long story short, I, I got consumed by the FPV stuff. You know, I, I started, uh, building these drones and, uh, then I started racing these drones and I've been all over America racing as, um, made it to the championship in the multi GP. I beat like thousands of pilots and placed 32nd in the country back in uh, 2016 for uh multi GP championships and drone racing. Then went to a different league and was a team captain for, uh, for the pro aerial league, uh, drone racing. And, um, now I do, uh, cinematography for, for drones. I, uh, I do real estate shoots where I fly like a single shot through the entire house and, edit a, a video and make it kind of fancy. I also dabble a little bit in uh range FPV um, planes, if you will. I'm, I won't get into what long range technically is, right? Because uh, there are some laws around those kind of things, but uh, we, we definitely can build some really insane aircraft these days, capable of hours of flight time and uh, many hundreds of kilometers of range. Well, I say many hundreds, like uh, over a hundred kilometers of range uh, is what's, possible not that i've done that but um or anybody that i know right Link. <laughs> um but uh that's that's what i do now i'm a part 107 pilot i fly drones and i sell sell quadcopter and charging gear for progressive rc nice nice hey chad what got you first into progressive rc i mean how how did that come to be um they uh, i had a friend walk in uh he you know, searched for Seattle, uh, drone shops and, uh, progressive RC had just started kind of selling these drone parts. And my friend walked in and he asked if they were hiring and they said, no. And, uh, <laughs> that was the last uh, that we, uh, we talked for a while. Eventually they found out about a club, a, a group of, uh, local FPV pilots and they wanted to reach out and, my friend kind of uh, continued talking to Progressive RC and they had their tech support agent leave and they kind of rifled through. They they went onto our, uh, our our group chat and they found who they thought was the most helpful person. And it was me and they reached out and said, hey, do you want a job? And now it's been like seven, oh, maybe over seven years, long time. So, hmm. Wow. Yeah. That is indeed a while. 
Yeah, yeah. Sticking with stick, you know, Progressive RC has been absolutely amazing. I've gotten some really insane job offers uh, to help uh, develop the uh, delivery aircraft for Amazon. Uh, you know, um, I've, I've gotten some really insane job offers, and Progressive RC has stepped up. Absolutely amazing. Uh, I do just want to say they've been absolutely great to me. Can't can't recommend uh, a, a better company as far as how they treat their employees. Uh, they've always done everything they could to uh, to to keep me happy and to keep me there. So good, good. That's pretty good, Chad. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. All yeah, right. They've actually, they've treated me as a customer pretty good too. I bought the Revelectrics uh, Dual Power Lab eights, the Touch, when they first first came out, and I bought them for through Progressive. And of course, those first run had some issues there too. And uh, although Progressive was not able to fix the problem for me, they still. Uh, you know, I had to go to Rev Electrics, but uh, whoever it was that I talked to at Progressive at that time was still pretty good to deal with. So, yeah. Nice. nice. It was. It could have been me, but it was probably just a, a formal statement that we wrote up and sent to everybody because we saw Rev Electrics having some problems. We knew kind of, you know, what was going on there, and uh, we wanted to reach out to everybody that had a charger that uh, uh, qualified for a recall and make sure that they knew about it and, and that they got their chargers taken care of. Um, and and hopefully everything worked out. I know that uh, I know that they didn't, they weren't ever really able to have a solid, reliable dual power lab eight touch. Uh, maybe the dual power lab six touch uh, was a little more reliable, but um, um, I, I hope you got a good charger at the end of the day. So, <laughs> well, mine was actually one of the first ones because I was one of the first ones to actually contact them about the problem. Mm-hmm. And they did some of the their testing and, and experimenting, shall we say, on my chargers. And so mine got one of the first ones fixed. And actually, I'm still using both of them today. I bought two of them, and they're still both working great today. I still use them. <laughs> I use them pretty much every week. Oh, I was using them pretty much every week until I was forced to stop flying out here. But cool. uh, they still work absolutely awesome. I love those chargers. I absolutely Fantastic, love them. Dude. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, Rebel Electrics was uh, was a great a great brand. Um I always liked them. Um you know, even even you know, I've had one fail, but even when it failed, you know, it didn't create, you know, it didn't burn my house down, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. if if what I liked about about Rebel Electrics is that I felt like they were very good, very consistent, very reliable, and if they break, they break. They don't they don't do like, you know, weird stuff. <laughs> so, you know, I was pretty happy with them and uh and unfortunately, when mine went, it was when Progressive was dying, and I had to change brand. So I oh, haven't. Really... Electrics was dying, right? Yeah. So I haven't had uh, a chance to actually test it. I mean, I tested it just to see that it worked, but I haven't uh, flown any batteries charged by it yet. I bought an uh, an ISDT, but uh, I haven't had a good chance to really run it through its paces. But uh, yeah. but we'll see. We'll see how that goes. ISDT has been making some some really awesome chargers, and uh, they they've got some really really cool features. Uh, they in in some ways almost mimic the bump tags from Revo Electrics. You guys know the bump tags. Uh, I love those bump tags. They're they're too cool. Um, but uh, of course, you can't really get the bump tags anymore. Well, you can get RFID tags, but flashing them with the firmware and stuff like that, you know, you can't really get new bump tags. Um, ISDT has. The majority of their chargers are really inexpensive and not incredibly nice, but they definitely have a big step up when you go to something like the P30. 
uh, charger. And they have this cool system now that connects to your balance cable uh, and acts really similar to a bump tag. So except for it's Bluetooth and it cool, it will connect to your phone and you can literally just connect to the battery and check its cell, like the cell voltages on your phone. You don't need to plug in a cell checker. You just pull out your phone and open the app and it tells you the voltage of every battery that has one of these connectors on it. It connects to the charger uh, when you plug it in. And then the charger can also Bluetooth connect to your phone and tell you when the battery's done charging. You can make parameter changes to the charger. Uh, and it, they also have a discharge bank that will have Bluetooth connectivity and they all communicate to each other. So, and of course, having that tag, it keeps track of the number of cycles, the minimum voltage it's been, the maximum charge voltage it's been. So um, really, really awesome stuff coming from ISTT. Uh, the only problem is their app sucks right now and it constantly <laughs> crashes. And if they could just put some dang money and time into fixing that, it would be really awesome. Really awesome. ISTT, you guys should do, you guys should finish that, that system up because Rev Electrics is, there's nobody else making something like that right now. So, yeah. And just to confirm, you guys are completely out of the, uh, the RF, or the bump tags in for Rev Electrics. Yeah. Yeah. We had some really, really desperate, people trying to get some bump tags and uh the only tags that were left were um a six pack available when you bought a bump controller and some people actually bought a bump controller for some more bump tags um, <laughs> so there you know there's there's guys out there flying thirty thousand dollar helis that crash <laughs> so those guys some of them are willing to spend you know what whatever that is $25 per bump tag. They were willing to do it. So, Well, right now I'm still doing okay on bump tags, but at the same time I'm trying to sort of keep my eye open just in case, you know. <laughs> oh, if they're out there, I'd give you the scoop, Darren. Don't worry. <laughs> nice. All right. So, so Chad, so let's – yeah, go ahead. Go no, ahead. so I want to talk about it because I, I wanted to uh, agree with you on the P30. I have two of them in my case, and it, they're powerhouse, man. I've had nothing but good luck with them. I have actually all my ICT chargers. I've always had good luck with them. So I would have to agree with you on that statement that they're really coming out with some really cool stuff. And more importantly than none, their app does suck horribly bad. Oh, sorry. You cut out there. Was that the app? Were you the saying app the sucks. app Yeah, the app sucks horribly bad. It's the it worst. Does. It does. It does. I agree. Um, definitely, if anybody is listening, just a public service announcement. Do not attempt to update your charger via the ISDT app. It will brick your charger. Um, I can unbrick it, but like, yeah, don't do that. So, um, <laughs> but when when the app does work, and it does actually work pretty good with the uh, balance taps, uh, the you know, as far as just checking the cell voltages, it's it is great. It is great. They just they just need to uh, you know finish it up, do the bug fixes, and uh, and and get it working right. Yeah, I agree 100%. Cool, cool. I didn't know about that. All right. So, Chad, let's let's get started then with, uh, let's say, uh, Batteries 101. So, can you run us through, you know, the, the you know, the basics of, of batteries so that we can establish a baseline um, for all of our listeners? Uh, let's assume that we, you know, I think that most of our listeners are repeat listeners, you know, that happen a while in the hobby. But... If this episode is shared with someone that's novice, that's just getting started with the hobby, or if someone finds us 
at this episode for the first time or for the past few episodes and uh, the things that were really talking Greek when we talk about capacity and milliamps and uh, C rating and all of that. Uh, if you can give us a quick rundown on the basics of, uh, let's say, a glossary of terms for batteries and charges overall. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Let me actually just grab a battery. Ah, okay. So when you look at a battery, you'll see a whole bunch of different numbers on there. And um, the first one that's going to be the most important, uh, just the most prevalent, is the cell count. And that is going to determine the maximum voltage of your battery. And of course, aircraft or um, any RC vehicle is going to have kind of a specific voltage uh, at which it's going to run on. And so a really common battery would be, say, like a 6S battery. Uh, or a 3S battery, right? And that's difference of uh, about 12 volts or about 24 volts. Of course, it's it's slightly different uh, than those voltages, but uh, that's that's a, a quick, easy thing on cell count and uh, and voltage. Basically, every time you have a three cell battery, it'll be about 12 volts. Every time you have a six cell battery, it'll be about 24 volts. A little bit more, but that's that's not super important. Uh, the next number is going to be. Uh, the capacity or MAH milliamp hours. And the easy way to uh, kind of think about that is let's say you have a 5,000 milliamp hour battery and your aircraft takes five amps to fly. That's how much it takes to fly uh, at hover or something like that. That means you could, in theory, fly for one hour, five amp hours or 5,000 milliamp hours, same thing. Uh, of course, that would completely you know, run the battery all the way down to zero, which you don't want to do, but that's, that's the thought of it, right? So if your aircraft took 10 amps to fly, uh, twice as much, then it would fly instead of for one hour, it would fly for half an hour, you know? So you can kind of determine the amount of flight time that you would get based on the capacity. Uh, of course, you can't just put, you know, a 20,000 milliamp hour battery on like a little park flyer, a little foamy or something, it's not going to fly. So you, you, there's going to be a range uh, that will uh, work best for that too. And then there's going to be a C rating. And this is where people will actually probably learn something. You guys probably heard all those other things before. And uh, th this is where, this is where you'll, you'll probably catch some good stuff. C ratings on batteries today are for the most part, a complete lie. Um, I've been testing <laughs> yes. batteries professionally for a very long time and the marketing guys will put a very high C rating on there because all the other people do it. Um, but in all my years of testing batteries, again, professionally for a lot of different brands, I've never seen a battery test better than I think it was 44 C. And what that actually means is, is that there is a certain amount of resistance inside of that battery. And when you have amperage flow through the battery, you can take the amount of amperage and the resistance, and you can calculate heat from that. It's an actual math formula. And lithium degrades at 134 degrees Fahrenheit. I think I have to double check that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's right about there. Um, anyway, uh, if you, if the number calculates to above that threshold at which the battery is going to quickly start degrading, that is where we put the limit on where a C rating is. And so what I'm trying to say is, um, there is no such thing as a 100 C rated battery. Not really. It, it may not die the first time you pull 100 C in. And just to clarify a little bit more, that 100 C, C, that is a math formula as well, where C equals capacity. So again, with a five, 
thousand milliamp hour battery or a five amp hour battery. 100C would be 500 amps that you could supposedly pull from that connector, except we all know that your EC5 connector is only rated to 120 amps and 500 amps would melt that thing. So I don't, I don't know why they're putting these 100C ratings. I don't know. I don't know what that's all about. Um, it would certainly destroy the battery after a very short amount of cycles. Uh, the correct way to do this is to rate the battery to a certain amount of cycles. That's like what Sony does. That's what uh, Panasonic does. These very reputable companies that manufacture 18650 cells, they can't get away with lying about C rating. They spec the battery to last a certain number of cycles. And beyond that, the battery will degrade to a point of like less than 80% capacity or something. And they can't rate it to a certain C rating if it doesn't meet those cycles. But we don't have that in the RC industry. We have marketers. And now that's enough of the rant. I'll, I'll go ahead and just get past that. Um, yeah, it doesn't mean that a hundred C rated battery is bad just because it's not accurate. That doesn't mean that a 100 C battery isn't a lot better than the old batteries you used to get that were rated to, you know, 30 or 40 C. The 100 C batteries that came out this year are probably a lot better than the ones, you know, five years ago that were rated to 30 C. But, uh, um, Anyway, that is, I think, just about everything on uh, on a battery as far as the numbers go. There's also charge, I guess, a C rating for charge. You know, if, if you guys have any questions on that, I guess I'll stop <laughs> ranting. I'll go ahead and take some questions uh, regarding charge or anything like that. You guys go ahead and fire fire back. Yeah. Right. Oh, okay. Hold on, hold on. Well, go, I'm going first. I'm going first. I'm going first. Yeah, you go first. <laughs> All right, because I think this is very important. And I do it, but I need to, but I've heard people going back and forth that some you need it, some you don't. Is there a, in your opinion, uh, do you see any value in cycling packs on the bench before flying it? Ah, this is a great question. Okay. So from my testing, a lot of lithium ion 18650 or 2100 cells do not reach their lower IR, their internal resistance, until they have a few cycles through them. That is almost never the case on the pouch cell uh, lipo batteries that we currently buy, right? The RC batteries. Now, I still cycle my batteries twice uh, before flying them because I sometimes fly on a uh, on a set. Well, not necessarily a set, but I, I fly around some very expensive things through some very expensive houses. Uh, or I need to get a shot around a very expensive car. This is the type of flying that I do. And I cannot have a failure. Right. It is unacceptable for me to fall on like a hundred thousand dollar Shelby. Right. Unacceptable. So I need to make sure that my battery is good before flying it. And I'm sure lots of other people have very expensive aircraft, you know, thirty thousand dollar helis just smacking the ground, apparently. Um, right. And uh at the end of the day, you should cycle your batteries and look at the charger and look at the internal resistance and make sure you didn't get a bad battery right out of the bag. But it is not actually helping your battery that much. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yep. If if you again, if you're running some uh, 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 cylindrical cell batteries, uh, a few cycles does help them kind of break in, and their IR I have noticed will lower after a couple of cycles. Uh, out of all of the lipo batteries that I've ever tested, I have there's almost no difference between the first cycle and the fifth cycle of normal charger cycling as far as their IR. 
That's hmm. what I've noticed after years of testing. Hmm. Okay. So you do it basically just to make sure that there are no bad cells. Uh, yeah, exactly. It is just a precaution to make sure that I'm not going to go fly a new battery and have a problem in the air. Yeah. Okay. I got, so I got two couple of questions here yet. Going back to C ratings, is there, this is something, and I, I've been curious about this is more what it is. Is, is there any sort of instantaneous current output increase with a higher C rated battery too, where it's just like the, the initial hit might be a little bit better with a higher C rated battery than with lower C rated battery. Yeah, yeah, of course. So that is why a lot of times people that don't quite understand that C rating is a math formula. Um, they don't connect that dots because the first time they heard about C rating, somebody in some hobby shop said, that just means punch. That's how much punch it has. And they're like, okay, well, I'll never think about that again. And that's the last they ever thought about it, you know? But yes, a better rated battery in C rating is how they typically rate them. Uh, a better rating should have a lower resistance. And with less resistance, you should be able to uh, have a higher current draw happen much quicker. And you won't get the voltage sag that happens when you draw lots of current. And so it will feel like you have a lot more power uh, from a uh, from a battery with a higher C rating and lower resistance. So, okay. Yes. Yeah. And then going back to cycling of batteries and whatnot too, something that I have heard, and maybe you can uh, confirm or dispel this myth, is one of the reasons for doing a cycling of the of the bat of the battery cell was partially because the the electrolyte in the battery isn't really perfectly one hundred percent perfectly mixed, and so just cycling it a few times would actually get that mixture a little bit better and more homogenous kind of a thing. That is an interesting uh, interesting. Uh perspective i guess i uh, so i don't have any hard data on that and okay. i can't really i can say that that is probably accurate especially on the lithium ion batteries and a lot of times people are pulling this information of lithium batteries over to lipos and not quite understanding that these different chemistries do act differently and uh and they do have different applications right uh you know there's actually like six different type maybe six different types of lithium battery you know there's lithium titanate and lithium iron phosphate and uh, lithium ion and lipo and lithium high volt and ultra lithium high volt right like there, there's a lot of different uh chemistries and they are all assembled differently you know there's pouch cells and uh, square pouch cells and um, cylindrical cells and uh, maybe the electrolyte isn't quite mixed on certain types of batteries but i have not been able to observe any internal resistance difference on the lipo batteries that i've tested and so i i would be uh i wouldn't believe it right away as far as the lipo batteries go if they said because you know how would I have a higher resistance if that was the case, if the electrolyte wasn't working correctly? Wouldn't my resistance be different? But it hasn't been. So, hmm. Okay. Not from my testing anyway, right? Yeah. I, okay. yeah I'm, I'm totally down to see some other people's uh, charts and graphs and, and learn something and be proven wrong. Always open to that. So, yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Right. That, that, was, that was pretty interesting, Chad. So, thank you. Now, let's go into another rabbit hole into the charging C rating. So there is another number on batteries, which is the, um, so that, that, 
the, the number that we we're referring to is the output C rating, right? So how much you can right. squeeze out of the battery. But there's also a number, which is how much you can put into the battery, which is the charge C rating. So can you explain about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to take uh, some more, I, I guess, um, uh, uh, I'm just going to go into it. I'm assuming that people have their ideas on how they should be charging. And one of the most common things that I hear is you should only be charging your batteries at 1C. And, uh, well, technically, if you charged your batteries at 1C, they would last longer. But you'll probably kill them sooner because you're drawing a lot of amps through these batteries. You'll probably, your life cycle will shorten a lot because we're all running, you know, some, some, some pretty heavy duty aircraft these days for the batteries. So, uh, and the truth is the batteries, that whole one C rating thing, uh, and that would be, if you had a 5,000 milliamp hour battery, you would charge it at five amps. If you had a 2000 milliamp hour battery, you'd charge it at two amps. That's what a one C charge rate is. Uh, just to clarify. Now, the truth is, uh, you know, when this 1C rule kind of came about a long time ago, that's all the batteries could charge at. And charging them faster would degrade them significantly faster. But nowadays, you know, you've got a 250C rated battery. No, you don't. But uh, you do have a much, much better battery than you had, you know, 10 years ago. And almost all batteries are rated to charge faster than 1C these days and not actually degrade their life cycle in a way that uh, would matter. But you should always check with the manufacturer. It's commonly written on the battery or the packaging to tell you how fast you can charge it at. So, yeah. Now, what if a, a battery manufacturer claims that they can charge up to 5C? Because probably between 1C and 2C, probably there's not much of a difference, like you say, with modern batteries. Probably charging them at that, uh, you know, at 1C or 2C depends largely on, you know, how much of a powerful charger you have how much you can really put into it, you know, with your charger. Uh, but, but you know, um, if there's a manufacturer that claims that you can, you can, you know, charge it at 5C without any issues, you know, that's a pretty significant jump from 2C to 5C. So is that still safe or is that still what modern batteries, uh, you know, are able to, or is that really something that there's battery manufacturers that really indeed manufacture their batteries so well that you can charge them at 5C without really degrading them that much. Right, right. So that is the thing that uh, I get. Uh, eventually, you'll always get there, right? Like, can I actually do that? Well, if the manufacturer says you can, then you should be able to do it. Now, it's a tough thing, right? Because I don't actually see a whole lot of time saving doing that. So let's just put it into perspective and why I don't recommend, even if the manufacturer says 5C, doing it at 5C. Uh, charging at 1C will take one hour. It'll probably take a bit less, but 1C is, is a one hour charge rate. Going from 1C to 2C, it, it, you save half an hour. It's only a half an hour charge rate. But if you wanted to save another just 10, 15 minutes, you would have to go from 2C all the way up to 4C, right? And you're not, I mean, maybe that 10 minutes means something to you, but I don't know. I feel like, uh, if it does and the battery's rated for it, like by all means, go for it. But uh, I I personally don't charge that fast just because it doesn't save me that much more time. Okay, so basically diminishing returns. So the 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 higher C you you charge at, 
you're not saving that much. What should, would you think would be like a good charge rate, you know, for modern batteries that is safe, that is, that actually saves you some time? 2C, 3C? I always just say 2C. Like if the, if the manufacturer rates it to charge it and most, almost all of them these days, you know, say 2C or 2 or 3C, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Go for it. And of course, I'm never going to say disobey what the manufacturer says on the pack, but I've seen a lot of them that say 1C and almost definitely that battery could be charged at 2C. Now, of course, don't do that if they only say 1C. Of course, you shouldn't do that because the manufacturer said don't do that. But the the battery's ability, will it actually shorten the life cycle? Um, like I said, you'll probably shorten the life cycle based on your discharge rate these days. The battery probably gets real hot during discharge and uh, probably doesn't, probably, you know, a 2C charge rate on just about every light bulb. It's almost definitely fine. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. So uh, any questions so far, guys? Nope. Okay. Okay. So uh, now that we've talked about about batteries, uh, let's talk a little bit about chargers. So, you know, we've talked about 1C, about 2C, even probably 5C, you know, whatever. But still, this is, uh, you know, for, let's say, a newbie, it's still up in the air, right? We've just talked about what the numbers mean, right? You know, output voltage and input voltage and capacity and size and overall voltage, right? I mean, that's all we've talked about right now. But let's say, what type of charger now should I buy? Of course, it depends on which size batteries you're going to charge and which application. But can you give us, you know, kind of like an overview of, uh, you know, the different charges and more or less how to spec your chargers and, uh, you know, uh, some charger, some chargers versus others. You know, there's chargers that need a separate power supply. There's chargers that have an included power supply. You know, some of those general um, uh, topics to kind of like uh, start diving into chargers. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We can knock this out real quick. This is, uh, again, a, a question that I answer daily. Um, a lot of people will look, start looking at chargers and power supplies and they're like, well, what, what, where do I need to go from there? They're, you're just starting at the wrong end. You got to look at your batteries and decide how many batteries you want charged in one hour. Let's say you've got uh, a six cell, 5,000 milliamp hour battery, and you want that one charged in half an hour. And, or let's say you have two of them. Okay. Well, doing a six cell, 5,000 milliamp hour battery at a two C charge rate. So half an hour would be setting the charger to 10 amps. And at 10 amps, uh, it's real easy to find out the, the amount of power you need. You just take 10 and multiply that by the voltage of the fully charged battery. You can't do 22.2, which is the nominal, right? You can't do that because you can't charge a battery outputting its nominal voltage. You charge a battery outputting its, its fully charged voltage. So for a 6 cell battery, 25.2 volts. Uh, so 25.2 volts times 10 amps, 252 watts. Easy peasy. That's what you need to charge that battery in half an hour. Now, if you had a dual channel charger and you want to charge two of them in that time, then you need 504 watts. Now, actually, you need a little bit more because that would be running the system at max, right? And you don't want to do that. So always account for it. Electricians will tell you always count for 20% extra. I tend to say 10% extra. You could, you know... You could get away with a 600 watt power supply and, and be totally happy doing 20 amps on six cell batteries, right? Um, that's, that's a, a pretty common request from Hilly guys anyway. 
So yeah, yeah, always look at the amount of batteries you want done in one hour and then just use that quick formula. Take the voltage of the battery, multiply by the amps you want to charge at, and done deal. Then you can just start your search for power supply and charger based on that. Okay, what about 12 versus 24 volt charging or uh, power supply systems then too? Oh yeah, that's that's a great... Uh, so or, a lot- or even higher voltage. Yes, okay, so I'll just start by saying that you don't need a higher voltage power supply than the voltage of your battery in almost any smart charger these days. You don't actually need that. The uh, uh, BMSs, a lot of people will come from battery management system things, and they think that they need to have a power supply, a higher voltage than the battery that they're charging. That's not true. You can charge a 6S battery with a 12-volt power supply. But you could be limited to the amount of power that you get because just about every charger... Uh, is going to have here. Let me see if I can uh, stop that. <laughs> can you guys still hear me? Yeah, yes. I hear you. Okay, fantastic. Sorry about that. I'm a popular guy tonight. Um, yeah, so long story short, the um, charger is going to have a certain amount of amperage that it can draw. Okay. And this is where some people will get lost in amps and volts and watts and stuff. And it's really not, it's really not hard, guys. Check it out. If, you so now you know you need 504 watts we'll just use that as before now let's say you have a charger you're looking at the specs of it and its input current is only 20 amps but its voltage range is like i don't know 10 volts up to 30 volts or something like that but again the input current is 20 amps and if you have a 12 volt supply well, that's 12 times uh, 20 amps that's uh, only uh 240 uh watts and you're not going to be able to charge a battery at that. You know, you're just not going to be able to do that. So, uh, or you're not going to be able to charge it at that 504 watt rate that we had talked about before, right? So uh, look at the charger. Uh, if, if you're really getting into it, look at the charger and see if, uh, if a 12 volt supply is enough. Now, a lot of times people will be like, Oh, but I've got this 90 amp 12 volt supply. I've got this server power supply that outputs 90 amps. Well, it, it outputs 90 amps for a certain amount of time, a peak rating. Uh, it probably outputs something like 75 continuous. But again, I can only think of, actually, I can't think of any charger that can draw 75 amps. So yeah, a 12 volt supply can be enough for some people, but I typically say anything over like 400, 500 watts or so, you should just be looking at a, uh, uh, at a 24 volt supply anyway. So I actually do come from an electronics background as well. So I understand a lot of amps and wattage and Ohm's law and different corollaries and all and so on so and so forth. And the one thing that I've always thought about as well, so if you're taking a 12-volt power supply and you are trying to charge a 6S LiPo, which like you say is a little over 24 volts, mm-hmm. then that charger also has to try and increase because like you were already saying too the charger is not going to charge at a lower at a at the nominal voltage it's charging at the maximum voltage of the battery and so it needs to also go and increase that voltage and that takes a lot of extra power and current as well and so that's why i'm also a big believer in in you know running 24 volts or higher i actually I didn't. I know I didn't need to, but I've got my Revel Electrics Power Lab chargers char, uh, powered by forty-eight volts, and gotcha. it was more because I already had it. 
and, yeah. you know, and was able to do it. I'll, I've got way I'll, more wattage than I need to. Way, I, I do want to hit a quick, a quick note on that. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you are right. It is more efficient to buck, to have a buck regulator in the circuit yes. than it is a boost regulator. Um, it's not, I mean, if it is a well-built circuit, then it's not like hugely inefficient to, to no. boost voltage, but, uh, Correct. but there are chargers. Uh, I don't want to get into the super specifics of it, but there are chargers that are rated for higher voltage, like a 48 volt input and their, their buck regulator, which drops the voltage down is not very efficient up there. And so a lot of people would say like, always do the highest voltage that the charger can do. But here's the thing. Let's say you had an 8S charger that, you know, commonly did, uh, that commonly did 6S. Okay. And you had a 48 volt supply that was powering it. It would have to buck half of that voltage, not quite half, but about half of that voltage down. You know, it would cut that voltage in half just to charge your 6L battery. And that's actually yes, and a course, lot of regulating. So that's correct. Then it's and then of course all that extra voltage is just leaving what pushed away as heat too, because it's the same thing with a battery with a BEC for aircraft as well. You don't want to go too high in voltage because any of that extra voltage just has to get wasted in this heat then too. Yes, exactly. So there are chargers that I actually do know uh, that are rated to 48 volts or higher, and you really should not be powering those chargers from 48 volts. It sounds like the uh, Revo Electrics that you have uh, are running absolutely fine at that higher voltage, and I'm super glad to hear it. And, you know, you grab something like a 4010 Duo I charger, power that thing for 48 volts, you want to charge a two-cell battery at 70 amps, go for it. Like, that thing's a tank. But uh, there are definitely some applications where I would say it's probably best to just run the 24-volt supply, even if it can take a 48-volt supply. So, yeah. Yeah. Sticking a little bit on that power supply topic, how are you of the opinion for using these computer server power supplies and and the modifications that guys do to make them 24 volts or to put, you know, in order to make a couple of them in series or and whatnot? There's some real clever guys out there that are doing it right. And there's a bunch of guys that are doing it wrong. (laughs) Um, So I just like to lead with that. You know, you should have some extra type of protection circuit if you're going to do this. And I've saw some open source projects that make putting server power supplies in series safe. But here is something that I just like to put out there. The reason why these server power supplies are cheap is because they've been in a server rack for many years until uh, their warranties are just about done. And that's why they get pulled out of the server rack and sold to you for cheap. So if you're okay with taking two five-year-old power supplies, putting them together in series with no protection, and then running them into your charger, knowing that if one of them failed, it would immediately go from 24 volts and then cut in half to 12 volts immediately, the charger would probably get confused and try to maintain that output wattage, which would mean doubling the amp draw from the power supply, which is like a textbook surge, right? Like if you look into electronics, you open up the page 101, electronics 101, you open up the book, look at surge. That's what that is. The voltage dropped quickly, amperage doubled, fried your whole system, everything, charger, power supply, everything. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's not a good thing. Uh, and that actually happened to me out at that multi-GP championship race. Uh, I brought a really fancy system out there. This guy had a really crap generator. And the generator, and there's no protection on it at all. And uh, the generator either got overdrawn or ran out of gas and just chugged and quit. 
and uh, it cooked my power supply and my charger in one go. Um, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I always run a, a real quality uh, warrantied power supply these days. And I also set my chargers to have a minimum input voltage right below what the power supply's output voltage is to hopefully catch it if anything bad did happen. Cool. Wow. Wow, that, that was interesting. Sounds like um sounds like I'm gonna have to consult with you a little bit later. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm I'm rifling off a lot of things. I explain this stuff every day, you know, to some really big yeah, yeah, big big charger purchasers out there. So uh sorry if I'm going a bit fast, y'all. Yeah, no, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. Um I just I just want to, you know, to get a little bit of uh, I mean I know that we're deep diving into some stuff, but uh but I want to make sure that we still Make it gener- generic enough, you know, for most of the of 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 our listeners to to uh, to understand, even if they're just beginning. Now, it's a lot one of, of the things, yeah. yeah. So one of the things that that uh, you know that just came to mind, uh, you know, lately it seems like at least on a helicopter scene, e, you know, seven S and eight S have started to become popular. You know, mostly on the six hundred range helicopters or even on light. 12S uh, helicopters. Uh, that, well, that they're usually 12S, you know, 700 size. They're usually 12S. You know, people are 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 driving them with less because there's airframes that are being designed to be lighter. So they're starting to use, you know, uh, single s- single battery configurations because, you know, for for you know you know for people out there that are a little bit more novice, you know, there's we can we can plug in. Two batteries together to make the system thing that we have a massive battery with twice the cells, right? And twice the voltage. So we can, we can do that as well. But, you know, these helicopters nowadays, we're trying to make it simpler and just simply use a battery with naturally most, more cells instead of using two batteries to mimic that effect. So let's say that today, you know, regular pilots out there, you know, heli pilots that want to start trying these uh, 78s but have regular charges you know just talk coming from what uh, we said you know about usually i think most people will have 24 volt power supplies that are perfect for success so what if um you know you have a a, a charger that is capable of, capable of doing 8s but you have a 24 volt power supply that is what most people do. You know, is that something that'll cause you issues? Are we going to stress the power system if we start charging these uh, 7, 8S batteries? Not at all. No. Um, chargers that are built today are not, you know, they they are well-designed. They understand that most people are probably going to be powering them from a lower voltage power supply than the battery that they're charging, in a lot of cases anyway. So, Boosting a voltage from 24 volts to, uh, you know, 33 or, or whatever, uh, is, is not, it's really not that bad on a well designed charging circuit. So you're totally fine running your 24 volt power supply to charge an 8S battery, to charge 12S battery even, actually. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I had that question because, you know, now that we were thinking about that, I was like, whoa, <laughs> if I want to start trying that, I'm going to have an issue. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you: Is there any? Is do you ever see those AC DC chargers ever ever getting to the point where they will uh, replace a separate power supply and a separate charger? Well, yes, eventually they will. 
it's it's a tough thing though. So uh, you guys probably uh, the the members of the the podcast here probably know, but uh, maybe the the listeners don't. Progressive RC makes some really fancy charging systems that has a power supply built inside of a really rugged case with a fancy charger in there as well. And um, there's you kind of get all of the pros of having a built-in system and none of the cons. So what would the cons be of having a really fancy charger with a high power power supply all built inside of a single system? Well, if the power supply kicked the bucket, then you got to throw away the charger and the power supply too. And that sucks. Nobody wants to throw away a perfectly good working charger just because the internal power supply broke and it's not really serviceable. And all of the chargers that I've seen for the past few years, including even some big players coming onto the market just now with some stuff, uh, their built-in power supplies aren't really serviceable or the chargers have some, some funny quirks. I haven't seen any, like, you know, higher end charging system besides what Progressive RC makes. And I'm sure that eventually something will come along. But uh, yeah, yeah, you're usually limited, uh, even like a pretty good charger, usually limited to like 400 watts uh, if you have an internal built-in power supply. And as we said before, that's not going to do two 6S, 5,000 milliamp hour batteries in half an hour. So. so for example, then I'm asking this because I've seen them already, the, uh, the ICT X16. Yeah. That one gives you, that one, that one's kind of like the, uh, Mr. Jock, uh, Dr. Jack or Mr. Hyde. Hmm. What do you mean? So the capability, it's, it's, uh, it's an AC DC charger. It also lets you charge with a power supply. Yeah. I think. And it, it lets you go up to 16S. So you can set up, you can series charge two 6Ss at one time. So, part two part questions. Do you see this bigger cell, single cell packs, like single balance plug 12S sticks, where it's a true 12S stick, not just two 6Ss snap, uh, slapped yep. together? Yep. Um, Do you okay. See, uh, yep, go ahead. I'm you sorry. see that growing? Do you, no, no, it's okay. I'm, I'm kind of throwing a lot of things at you. Do you see that growing in the, in the hobby? So the reason that we have a lot of split packs instead of single 12S packs is because of the shipping regulations that are currently going on here in America. I'm sure Canada probably has them too, where the problem is you can't ship batteries over a certain watt hours unless you have some some very specific things that happen maybe hazardous shipping and stuff like that and it, it just gets exponentially more expensive when you have a battery over a certain watt hours uh trying to ship so cool. it 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 that is the one reason why you still see so many 6s uh or I'm sorry the split pack 12s packs where it's two 6s packs that's why you see that I hope that it goes in the way where you can buy a single 12s pack because now we're getting good 12s chargers you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, the X16 is not one of them. Um, I I, I okay. really don't want to harp on ISDT. I think they're a great company. I talked about them earlier. Yeah. The X16 uh, has just been problematic from what I've seen. Uh, really? This, this is just uh, my personal experience. I think ISDT needs to uh, do some better quality control or, or maybe get some fixes out there. Uh, we're currently trying to work with them on getting... A lot of our X16s repaired. Of course, I, uh, Progressive RC does a good job with warranties. If you have problems, you reach out. I'm the guy you talk to. 
and I try to be very helpful. The X16 has just been too problematic for me to recommend, so I just need to get that out of the way at the very beginning. I just, I, I like to be truthful, and that, that is what I've seen. I do not recommend that charger for anybody. For 12S, 16S, any of that. I don't recommend it. Not until ISTT fix it out. Now, uh, fixes it up. Now, uh, I just would like to mention that at the time of recording this, it's March 28th, 2023, and, uh, there could be a, a fix by the time you hear this. Okay. You can reach out and ask. I'll let you know if there is, but, uh, there should never be a public service announcement like that without there also being a date very clearly included with it. That's, that's my opinion. There are good, uh, well, there is a good 12 S charger currently in the, uh, iCharger X12. Mm-hmm. And it has its own kind of quirks too. Uh, I kind of mentioned that a, a higher voltage power supply isn't always the right move. Uh, that's the case with that charger. The X12 doesn't like to be powered from a super high volt power supply, high voltage power supply. Even when you're doing 12S packs, I, I would still recommend, uh, not a 48 volt power supply. Seriously, I would recommend not doing that. But, uh, the, the reason, so, okay, just to kind of give a little credit to ISDT, the K4 is like the little brother of the X16. Uh, it's only a 400 watt internal power supply, but it's very similar looking charger and it is really, it is really quality. Uh, and it has a built, you know, that built in power supply is 400 watts and it does take a, a power supply if you need more power. And, and that's, that's a great unit, but the, the X16 has had some, uh, some balance issues. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's just to kind of answer both of those. Very cool. Very cool. What is your opinion on the toolkit? chargers oh man okay <laughs> and the reason and the reason and the reason why i'm asking this because i feel like chargers are getting smaller and smaller and smaller yeah like to the point so they those things are have a lot of bang for the buck i don't own one personally but i wanted to see hear your opinion on them because you kind of know what's going on with those more than i do yeah man so i have done repairs on my chargers for a very long time and I've repaired, I've taken apart a lot of other chargers and systems and stuff like that. And I do not like toolkit RC. I, okay. uh, I, I, I don't like to do this, but, uh, but I, I would rather be more, uh, more transparent, uh, because that's the way, uh, I have always been. And, uh, I'd, I'd like to think that progressive RC appreciates my transparency on this one as well. Uh, that uh, we sold yeah. Toolkit RC. We have chose not to restock their uh, chargers. We might have a few kicking around that are still for sale. And of course, we honor warranties on the things that we sell. We do it. But the M4Q is the highest failure rate charger that I've ever seen. And I've disassembled multiple of them and looked at the PCB boards and I've shared them publicly. That PCB is the most terrible uh design i've ever seen i've ever seen on any charger i've never seen an m4q work right they have had a few of them right the m6d or something like that the tiny little dual port charger this tiny little thing that thing was so cool but it had a lot of screen failures um if you got one that worked or if you've gotten one recently uh and it's been good all of my failures on them were when we ordered two years ago um, you know, some, honestly, it was sometimes around March of 2020 or so. And, uh, the quality control was just absolutely terrible. We quit ordering from them. I hope that they've, uh, I hope that they've cleaned it up. Um, I, I can't verify anything that's happened in the past two years because I, we haven't gotten another order since. Okay. 
I like the way you you burned those bridges. I can appreciate that. <laughs> well, you know, at the end of the day, right? Like, uh, we sell a lot of chargers. I'm sure Toolkit RC would be happy to sell us more chargers uh, if they could, uh, you know, verify the quality of them. I'm sure we'd be open to talking with them. But uh, and, and you're and you're so diplomatic. I'd be like, get your shit together and then let's talk. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I hope they do because uh, we could use yeah, – after Revo Electrics went down, you know, I'd, I don't want to see other charger companies go down. I'd, I, I want to see more innovation. And Toolkit RC made some awesome products. They actually have this uh, this little cable that plugs into a USB power bank, and it has PD uh, smart sense. So it will – and then an XT60 on the other end. So you could power like a little charger from a USB bank and actually have some pretty good power output from it, a 20-volt output from a USB bank. Which is, wow. you know, uh, uh, yeah. And it's like, I went on a little uh, cabin getaway with my wife just a little bit ago. And all I brought was a USB power bank, that little toolkit cable and uh, a little iCharger uh, uh, X6. And I was able to charge, you know, my 6S batteries while I was out there. And uh, it was great. It was great. I, I didn't have like a huge amount of power, but, uh, you know, a, f- a few amps of uh, of from a little usb power bank and something i didn't even have to think about was in my bag it was awesome that toolkit cable is great uh and i hope that they keep innovating and making cool stuff Hmm. so frank got a point though with chargers seem like they're getting smaller and smaller mm-hmm. how do you feel that they're doing that because i would think one of the big things that i think from especially older ones like for example with my rev electrics a lot of it was is taken up by heatsink as to why it's so big why do you think they're making able to make these chargers so much smaller now? Mm, so components are getting smaller, right? So the FETs, the MOSFETs that were rated to uh, say like a 40 amp output back in the day, um, significantly smaller now, you know, so much, much smaller. And so the, the circuit board ends up taking up less space. The, and you're right, the heat sinks are getting a lot smaller too, but that kind of goes hand in hand. When you have the ability to make a component smaller, you also have the ability to make it more efficient, right? That's how it got smaller in the first place. So if you can make something that is a, a, a smaller chip and it is more efficient, then you don't need as much heat sink. Uh, at the end of the day, though, um, I still like a big charger. I like a big, reliable <laughs> charger. Because, it, you know, I get to see the failure rates on everything. And uh, I will say that, uh, you know, a big big 4010 with that big old heat sink in there, that thing runs great. The old PowerLab 8 V2, that thing is one of the most reliable chargers that you'll, well, you can't get it, but that you ever could get. And, uh, yeah, those those big chargers have been super reliable and great. The new chargers have a lot of features, so a lot of other things that could potentially fail and of course, the trend is to have something real small. But if the components continue getting more efficient, then size shouldn't be such a big deal. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. 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 That that was very cool. Now, um, Chad, we talked a little bit. You know, we touched on it, but we didn't we didn't dive into it um, into connectors. You know, there's different types of connectors. There's different ratings for those connectors. And you said, you know, there's there's certain connectors that at certain uh, amount of voltage will basically melt because that's what they're rated at. So, you know, can you give us a quick rundown on the most used connectors and, you know, what would be the optimal applications for them so that people don't 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 fall into the trap of, you know, getting just uh, a connector just because it 
seems to suit them or because someone else has it, but to, you know, actually measure it to their application. Yeah. Are you trying to justify your use of EC5s? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm just, it's just an honest question. <laughs> I, I, I think so. I think he is. I'm thinking so. Yeah, <laughs> I'm an EC5 lover too. Uh, so you know, we'll we'll I'll advocate a little bit for him, but uh, but it's definitely the the right connector for the job. And a lot of people get confused on this. And let me just make it easy for everybody out there. You're looking at what connector to get. Look at your speed controller. What's your speed controller rated to? 120 amps. Well, that's what an EC5 is rated to. Put an EC5 on there. <laughs> or at least an EC5, right? You could put something bigger if you're okay with the weight. But uh, yeah, you know, uh, XT60 is probably the most popular connector in the RC world right now just because of the sheer number of things that get the XT60 connector on it. Uh, maybe not in the heli world, but just uh, as far as, you know, these LiPo batteries in the RC world, XT60, by far the number one selling connector. But it's not going to be right if you have something rated to, you know, 80, 90, 100 amps, 120 amps. Uh, I'm sure some of these speed controllers are rated even higher. I see a lot of guys running the AS150 connectors these days, especially when they're doing their split pack, 12S split packs, so two 6S batteries, because AS150s are really convenient to plug together in series and to take apart. Uh, so th those are two really popular connectors out there. Uh, big drone applications. I see a lot of QS connectors being used because they have that anti-spark feature and they're rated to, you know, many hundreds of amps, right? Like 300 amps, even more. And having that anti-spark is, is a big help not have the connector wear out. But, uh, yeah, you also see a lot of XT nineties out there and I'm, I'm kind of worried when I see, so I like the XT 90 connector. It's just often used in place of an EC5, but XT-90s are only rated to 90 amps. Uh, so, yeah, at the end of the day, uh, you, sh you should spec it off of your ESC, in my opinion. Okay. What about the RC Pro Plus connectors? Ooh. I, was about to, I was about to say that, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, those are, those are the solder, solderless ones, right? Well, they have solder and solderless. I gotcha. Um, those are probably awesome connectors. I don't know what they're rated for, but I believe that uh, the RC Pro Plus guys are are rating them accurately, and there's no reason not to use them. Um, they're uh, a little bit expensive, and so I, you know, I've made some custom cables for customers that have asked for custom cables uh, or custom parallel boards or, or whatever they've asked for to get those uh, connectors on it. Uh, so yeah, I, uh, I've definitely, uh, I've seen the connectors. I've never used them. I would just expect that they are, they're rated for, uh, a, a, a good amount of current and I, I bet they're great. So yeah. they're really becoming popular with the heli guys. So nice. Yeah. Nice. I, I wish that the, uh, I wish that we as a retailer could, uh, could sell them for, you know, what basically what the other connectors that we sell for, right. I, I know they're, they're a premium product, so uh, that's kind. Of, that's kind of why we haven't haven't carried them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and uh, Chad, uh, talking about my justification for EC five, I want to know if I made a mistake or not. I know <laughs> that that they are used, but you know, according to mere numbers, you know, running a seven hundred size helicopter, which runs typically at two hundred amp ESC. On a 12S configuration, usually a 5,000, well, well, a couple of, of 5,000 6S packs, you know, is, uh, is an EC5 safe? You've got a fancy radio, don't you, brother? You've got one with telemetry, right? Uh, yes. Yes, I do. 
All right. So if I was going to be uh, specking a connector on something, if I was worried about that on one of my builds, you know, I've got goggles on and I have full OSD. So I have uh, my voltage and my amperage and everything displayed, my total current uh, and everything like that. You have that on your radio and hopefully you have a way of doing logs, right? Because for me, it's easy to go out and fly, flip the throttle to full and then just stare in the corner of my screen and see what my maximum amp draw is. But for you, right, having telemetry, it'd probably be hard to do some TikToks and then look at your screen and find out how much current you were trying while you were, you know, doing some some aggressive move. You know what I mean? But that's what you should do. You should see actually what your current is drawing from your telemetry and then and then spec your connector based on that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. I, I said to keep to take it easy on a lot of the people, you know, like look at your speed controller and spec the thing off of that. I'm assuming that it's a big step up from the guys that are just learning about this. And okay, I can spec a connector based on what the amp rating of my speed controller is versus guys with telemetry set up and the ability to actually log and check the uh, maximum current draw. You know, I'm, I'm assuming that's a big jump to those guys. That's why I said spec it off of the amp rating from the ESC first. Yes, yes, of course, of course. Yeah, there's, you know, in the heli world, telemetry is getting more, more prevalent, but there's still a lot of systems that don't make use of, of telemetry or that it's not uh, native or that, or that you have to do like additional wiring and connecting, which not everyone does. And, uh, you know, uh, e different brands of ESC support telemetry in different ways. Some radios support full tele telemetry from one brand, but from, not from another. And, you know, all of those things because there's a lot of different components that that click into place so no not all of them have telemetry right right yeah and and for anybody who does have the telemetry like uh hopefully you have a way of logging it so that you could really do some aggressive maneuvers and then go back and look and if you've got a 200 amp speed controller but you look and the the hardest you can fly ends up only drawing you know 120 amps well then that ec5 is perfect for you yeah yeah, I'm. I'm thinking that it's probably good for what I have right now because I have a, I have it actually on a 130 amp, which should be, should be fine, and I don't plan on flying that aggressive. But when I eventually move up to a 200 amp and trying to get a little bit crazier, and of course, in the heli world, when you when you fly worse but think that you're flying better, that's when you draw the most average because oh, yeah. you don't really do a lot of collective management, so you tend to amp. Uh, overamp more than you should. So yeah, maybe, maybe at that point in time, I'll, I'll think about it. But, uh, but I think that I'm safe and that's, that's a good recommendation, you know, to, to just spec it from the, from the maximum output of the, of the ESC. Even if you don't ever get to that, you know, by the way that you, that you fly, it's still a, a good point of reference. Right, right. All right. All right. Good. So, um, We've talked about batteries. We've talked, we've talked about charging. What about overall care of, of batteries? I know that there's also, you know, we talked about best practices of, you know, breaking in the, the battery. You've already told us, you know, your recommendation and your thoughts about that. But what about also, you know, overall care of batteries? You know, for example, uh, whenever you are done flying to go, go back and rebalance your batteries. Or, uh, you know, to store them at a certain temperature, uh, or to keep them charged versus keeping them discharged, how much you should really discharge them to, you know, those basic, um, you know, overall maintenance of, uh, of your batteries. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, this is another one that I explained a lot. And the best way that I can put it is that there is a red zone 
of uh, as far as voltage goes. Uh, and you want to stay in that red zone for as little time as possible. And then, you know, it slowly fades to yellow. And then there's like a green zone of where if you're going to be leaving your batteries for a while, you want to be within that green zone. The red zone is fully charged and completely depleted, right? You don't want to leave your batteries fully charged or completely dead. You want them to be closer to uh, 3.85 volts per cell for storage. And the way to keep that, uh, you know, keeping them at that green zone for as long as possible is how to get the longest life out of them. I, uh, that, that I bring up this, this race because I learned so much, but this, uh, this multi GP championship race back in 2016, uh, lithium high volt batteries were real popular, charged all my batteries to 4.35 volts per cell. Didn't really know anything about it. Hopped on a plane, got to, uh, got to Indiana. And, uh, by the time the next day when the race actually happened, I thought I was going to fly that day. I didn't left them all charged by the next day. They were all puffed and I was just like, gutted you know i'm like what happened and well those batteries that were coming out back then probably weren't actually lithium high volt batteries so i just overcharged these bad the manufacturer said that i could charge them to that and i did but they died extremely quick but the point is that you should not leave your batteries fully charged for more than well for as little time as possible they're not going to explode in you know 12 hours so well they almost definitely won't. The point is, they're not going to degrade uh, within 12 hours, but you should try to get them out of that red zone and back down to that 3.85 as quickly as possible. And also uh, keep them out of the heat, if possible. Keep them, uh, keep them in a nice cool area when you're storing them. And they should, should hold on a lot longer. Okay. Okay. Now, I, whenever, whenever I go out fly, you know, I try to fly them to uh usually around 3.7 3.75 when they when they come down they bounce back a little bit up you know after 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 they rest but i try to fly them usually about that but still you know when i come back home i try to charge them back to 3.8 and make sure that they're balanced you know that takes a while <laughs> because you know after after i go flying uh and i go back home i still have to make time to Put them again in the charger and uh, make sure that they're that they're balanced and that they're they're back to their non-metal voltage. You know, I'm still leaving them within, I would say, the green yellowish zone. You know, when I fly them and discharge them, but I try to get them back into more into what you say the the, the green zone. So is that is that a good practice? Is that something that might you know increase the life of the battery, or is that something that you know I probably shouldn't be be doing? And I'm just you know, overly, you know, cautious of, of, of the batteries, or is that actually not giving me a good return? So this is where we add another layer, layer of uh, complexity, uh, with a green zone and, uh, and a red zone, right? Um, as time goes on that where you left them, the red zone kind of becomes redder and redder and redder where you can actually start to uh, have issues. So if you, ha if you flew a battery down to 3.6, 3.7, uh, and, um, and, 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 and it stayed there, sorry, it, after it rebounded, it landed at 3.6, 3.7, you know, it's probably fine for a week. I, I can't say it is, or it isn't right. Because I, I can't say indefinite things like that, but it's probably fine for a week. But as time goes on, the battery could have a bit of self discharge or uh, there, you could eventually see a cell drop, right? Uh, it, it will, 
some amount of capacity will be drained over time. It always will be. And the farther it is away from that green zone, the more energy will be burned. Now, if the battery wasn't perfectly balanced, let's say one of the cells was a little bit lower than the others, that one cell might drop real quick. Because of course, once you get below about 3.2 volts per cell, like a very small amount of current is going to just dump that cell down really, really quick. And so for that reason, if it's going to be more than a day or two or, you know, or so, you should just get them back into storage. It's not the biggest deal if it's not that day. If they're around 3.7 and you didn't get it done that day, like just do it tomorrow. You know what I mean? But, uh, it, it does bring up another point too. Balancing your battery. I've heard people talk about bottom balancing and, uh, balance when, uh, uh, putting it storage. It's, that's not super important. Uh, I mean, it, it, bottom balancing isn't as long as you're always top balancing. Um, the reason for that is because your goal is to try to stop a cell from getting below 3.2 volts and then just dropping off, right? And if you are close to balanced at 3.85 volts per cell when you store it, it's probably not going to, like, you will probably get to that battery sometime in the next month or, or so and check it and charge it or do whatever. Um, at least check it, right? So uh, it doesn't matter if it's perfectly balanced. The idea is when you charge a battery, it is important to balance it every time because if you did fly it for too long and it was perfectly balanced, you would hope that not one of the cells would take a dive because it got too low. You know what I mean? But since you're going to be putting it at storage, it's not the biggest deal because you're about to, the next time you use it, you're going to be charging it and it's going to be balanced to then. So hopefully that makes sense. Uh, that, that, that was that was a little difficult to explain right there, but I, I wanted to get that out of the way. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I've left. I've left. I've left mine charge for weeks at a time, but I try not to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, and uh, if you you know if you're charging them to four point two zero volts per cell and they're lipo batteries and they're good quality batteries, like they'll probably be okay for a while. If they are. Lipo batteries, not lithium high volt batteries, but the manufacturer slapped a lithium high volt sticker on there and he charged them to 4.35 volts per cell and then flew them in a plane and then, you know, stuck them in a bag for two days. Yeah, they might die. So, yeah. Okay. All right. So we've, we've gone through, uh, through a lot of, uh, of information, a lot of topics. Um, I think that it was very helpful. Uh, we've gone through batteries, you know, what the numbers mean. We've gone through chargers, a little bit on how to do the math and how to spec them. And we've gone through a little bit of uh, overall battery maintenance and health and precautions. Now, just to finish off, um, a few red flags or a few uh, red alerts or a few PSAs like don't charge, you know, batteries with different cell counts together or you'll have a mess <laughs> You know, things like that, you know, that, uh, that we can, we can just tell to, um, to users, both novice and experienced to make sure that they don't do, because if not, they, you know, may face even, uh, even, even a fire or an accident or something really bad happening. Oh, sorry there. I, uh, could you repeat that question? I, I, I didn't mean to, uh, to miss that there. Um, you know, just, uh, like things don't do these, you know, when you, when you're talking about batteries, when you're talking about chargers, some things that you probably shouldn't do, you know, kind of like best practices to be safe around batteries. You know, there's, there's some people that say, okay, so don't, don't leave batteries unattended. 
don't charge batteries of different cell counts on the, on the same parallel board or on the same multiple cable. You know, things like that. You know, what are some of the things that uh, that you shouldn't do in order to be safe handling battery charging? Yep. Yep. Okay. So um, I you mentioned parallel charging. I uh, I always like to uh, just give a little bit of info here on it. Um, uh, because I do explain this again a lot. So parallel charging can be done safely. Every car manufacturer, every electric car manufacturer does parallel charging, right? And insurance regulatory bodies have decided that it is safe. And those are uh, kind of the pickiest people on the planet. So if they've decided it can be done safe, it can be done safe. Um, here is how you can do parallel charging safe, or at least here is a safe practice. Here is how I do parallel charging safe. I'd like to rephrase that. This is how I do it. You should make sure that the batteries are not damaged. Number one, you should check the internal resistance and know what a good internal resistance is. If your charger can test individual cell capacity, you should check the batteries regularly. You cannot check batteries when they're in parallel because batteries that are in parallel, their voltages cannot be different. And so it is, it is actually impossible to test your batteries while they're in parallel. That doesn't mean that you can't balance your batteries. Batteries that are in parallel, their voltages cannot be different. So if the one battery is balanced because the charger, because you know, it's and the charger sees the balance leads of one battery, all the other batteries in parallel with their balance leads also plugged into the parallel board, they are also balanced. But I never parallel charge a battery more than uh, four times in a row. I take the batteries and individually charge them and check them every single time, uh, every single fifth charge, excuse me. So, uh, so I'm sure that I am, I am charging a, a safe battery. Also, obviously, if there's been any type of physical damage to the battery or if it's been ran down too low, it should never be parallel charged because it is a uh, terrible idea to try to charge a battery that's been damaged. But it's seriously the stupidest thing in the world to try to parallel charge uh, a battery that's been damaged. Uh, so making sure your batteries are in good condition is the number one thing for battery safety. There's some really cool things called bat safes. Uh, they're kind of like lipo fireproof bags and bat safes are absolutely awesome. The XL is the one I recommend, especially for the heli guys because, uh, they look big, but they're designed in a really smart way. And, uh, there's not a lot of internal storage. They, they'll suppress a fire. So, uh, so they're obviously, uh, uh smaller on the inside than the outside. So yeah, of course, store your batteries in a safe place. Make sure they're at the right voltage. Um, Take batteries out of commission when you are concerned about them. That is the main thing. I've personally never experienced battery just bursting into flames for no reason. But I'm also capable of testing my batteries very, you know, extensively. I have an ESR meter. Uh, I can measure internal resistance really, really carefully. You could buy an ESR meter for 150 bucks. Just saying they're out there. You know, I, I'm sure that my batteries are all safe. So, uh, uh, if, if you're just hearing this, um, there's really some best practices out there. That's just check your batteries regularly and, uh, take them out of commission if you suspect them at all. Okay. And Chad, what's a good way to dispose of a battery? I have my own method, but, uh, you know, people Shoot. have, yeah, <laughs> that's my favorite. Yeah. Yep. Um, if 22 LR, if you have access to, um, you know, like uh, 30 out six or 50 cal or something like that, you know, 
Uh, big rounds, big rounds. 22 LR is great. You could probably get two or three of them into uh, into a high quality battery before seeing them go up. <laughs> I, um, I like the 22 LR because it doesn't actually just explode the battery. If I I've hit them with bigger calibers and I find it just disintegrates and there's you know nothing left. 22 LR punches a hole through them and then they smoke and fire and spit and a lot lot more fun to watch. Gotcha, gotcha. I'm uh, I'm definitely trolling Darren a little bit here. I'm not, I'm not advocating for any of that, um, you know. But uh, long story short, uh, if <laughs> if you want to dispose of a battery, there are some smart ways of doing it. Discharging it down to zero volts very slowly is the way to do it. I'm not going to give specific recommendations because uh, you know people have talked about a lot of different methods, saltwater method. Um, some other things like that. I'll just say what I do personally is, uh, I have a mode on my charger where I can discharge the battery all the way down to zero, to zero volts. And after I do that, it always rebounds up a little bit and I just hit it again and discharge it down to zero volts again. And, uh, then it usually hovers around like one volt, cut the lead off. I twist the leads together. Obviously, I have it inside of one of my bat safes for a little while. And then uh, there's some some random places that take lithium batteries. Uh, I don't have any of their uh, websites on hand at the moment or, uh, or places you can take them. But your local internet knows. Google that. What charger are you currently using? Uh, I mostly use the iCharger DX6 right now. I've just been testing it a lot lately. And uh, that thing's that thing's been great. Okay. Love that thing. Nice. Nice. So what's your what's your um setup, Chad? Oh, yeah, I, I should mention. So my daily runner is the DX6, but uh I have been testing the new iCharger 458 Duo. It just came out like 2 weeks ago, and uh that thing is a crazy powerhouse. And so currently, uh I'm running the 458 Duo, but on any given day, if I'm just charging my stuff here at the house before I go to uh to go fly, uh I've got a uh uh, a benchtop power supply, basically the uh, Chargery S1200 V3. It's a slightly earlier model that uh, basically exactly resembles it. And that is, it's it's a great power supply. It's pretty quiet and I power like three different chargers from it. I do parallel charge at times, but it depends on the batteries that I'm doing uh, nowadays. I've got so many chargers that I actually, I constantly test that I just power multiple chargers. But if I was just to stick to one and I wanted a really good value charger, it'd probably be the DX6. And then when I go out to, uh, to, if, if I'm going to be charging out at the field, I have a cable ran from my truck into my cab with an XT60 that plugs into a single iCharger X6. It's a tiny little charger with a terrible button, but it's super reliable and really accurate. Uh, and it's so small. It fits in my pocket. So. Yeah, that's that's what I use for field charging. Tiny little X6. I don't even bring a power supply or anything like that. That's a personal thing, right? I do also have a big battery bank full of my old batteries that don't fly good anymore. Their IR is just too high, but they still hold a charge fine. And I have them in parallel as like a battery bank. And I do, if I'm going out to a remote place, I'll leave that. I'll charge that. I'll take it with me. And that way I can charge my batteries out for a while too. Sorry, that was a really quick rundown of all the different charging gear that I use. Sorry, if if you have any specifics you want to know, just let me just ask. Okay, all right, that's cool. So I've run through everything I can I can think of. Of course, we can take you know hours deep diving into uh, you know all of this stuff, but I think this was a good overall overview 
of um, of batteries of chargers uh, precautions and you know uh, a little bit of terminology so that uh, we can we can try to help you know our fellow hobbyists to try to understand a little bit more into this uh, whole topic that is batteries and charging which is one of the most critical pieces on on <clears throat> on on our models so uh Darren and, and Frank do you have any any more questions comments for Chad Actually I do have one more question uh back to chargers a little bit what other kinds of features are you uh, like what kind of things do you actually look for when you're looking at a charger then as well what it, it, you're talking about your a charger that actually had a discharge function to go down to zero and then I didn't know there was a charger that would do that um yeah. you know things like that what other just briefly you know what kind of things do you actually look for other you know I mean reliability is a big one but what features functions things like that what kind of things do you t- typically look at yeah, so I do want to mention that the iChargers do not have a mode that specifically takes them down to zero volts. Uh, you can make a custom preset that does it, but it doesn't, ah, okay. stock, doesn't come stock with one. You basically have to choose a chemistry that can go down to zero volts and then make a custom thing to do it. But there are actually chargers that do have what's called a self-destroy function. And that's another reason why I didn't want to harp like super hard on toolkit because I think they were one of the first ones to actually put that as a feature, a battery destroy feature of the charger. I think toolkit actually does that. I think uh, Hoda might actually do that too. I haven't got the chance to play with a lot of those, so I, I can't remember. But some of the other features uh, are just the most accurate internal resistance measurements and voltage measurements. I want really good balancing. I also want the charger to not lie to me about the balance. So something that I've seen from a lot of other charger manufacturers, uh, never Revo Electrics and never iCharger, but a lot of other ones, uh, they will slightly overcharge the battery so that it lands at 4.20 volts per cell or thereabout. Whereas uh, a lot of times iCharger and Revo Electrics will terminate right at 4.200 volts and it will rebound slightly, which is totally normal, and you don't really lose capacity from that, um, that small amount of voltage rebound. But yeah, so showing accurate cell voltage is the biggest one. Uh, showing accurate internal resistance measurement for me is number two. Uh, and then I like a lot of other uh, cool features, like all the new iChargers, basically um, not the 4010 Duo, and I think that's the only one still in production that doesn't do it. But all of the new iChargers do individual cell capacity testing, which I absolutely love that that idea of being able to see that each cell is uh, is getting X amount of capacity. And it just helps you identify a bad battery easier. So does IR measurements. And then I also like a power output function. Uh, if you guys are building helis and you're testing electronics and you've assembled something and you're not sure if you've got something shorted, you could use like iCharger's power output function. You could dial the voltage to what you want the power, the heli to be powered from. Then you could set a current limit of like two amps uh, or one amp. And then you hit go. And if you had a short circuit, it will power the heli, but then immediately cut the power because of the current limit. So uh, chargers that do that are pretty awesome. But yeah, besides that, it uh, I guess a fancy screen that shows me all the data that I want to see. That's that's pretty much it. I don't really care about computer connectivity. I don't care that much about logging, uh, though it is cool. I'd re- I'd rather just have a an easy interface and an accurate charger. Cool, cool. Frank, any more questions for Chad? No, I'm good. I picked this brain enough. Yep. All right. Darren, anything else? No, I think that's it.
Okay. So, Chad, before um, before we start winding down, there's one thing that I just thought about, and um, I know that you you mentioned that you know you test some of the equipment, right? Because of your role with uh, Progressive RC, you know you you sometimes have the opportunity to, to test some equipment that may not have been available to the general public. So yep. what we have here is uh, something that we that we call you heard it here first, which is something that you know one of our guests that is in that position that can test something that is not fully um, released to the public without getting you in trouble with your employer. Is there something that you could uh, let us know that's upcoming in the near future that uh, we could have kind of like an exclusive peek at? Yeah, well, um, I got a little one, I guess. We are kind of the charging people, right? That's where a lot of people know us from. And um, iCharger sends me things to, uh, well, they send Progressive RC things to test. And uh, I, I do them on my YouTube channel. I try to do really good reviews of the new chargers as they come out on my YouTube channel. And uh, I, I go into a good deep dive. I kind of teased that there will be a 456 Duo iCharger coming out soon. As it turns out, the 308 Duo and the 408 Duo, uh, two absolutely love chargers, were discontinued because of component shortage. They will never be coming back and they are getting replaced. And the 458 uh, just came out a couple weeks ago. And though uh, iCharger has not uh, actually released any or not much info on it, I was able to scrounge up a manual and I made it public on my channel. Uh, the 456 Duo will be a, a, a really awesome charger. It'll do all those things that I mentioned about the internal resistance being accurate and individual cell capacity. Uh, the 456 Duo will be the least expensive Duo that is currently available. And uh, yeah, uh, I, I do just want to mention, I don't have confirmation on this, but there is probably going to be a dual port 12S charger in the future as well. Again, I, I haven't gotten one in my hands to play with, but I'm assuming uh, a dual port 12S charger is coming too. Wow. All right. That was pretty cool. That's exactly what we were looking for, Chad. Thank you very much. <laughs> Yeah, the rumored dual port 12S charger. Um, I, I have absolutely zero specs on it, but I, uh, if you guys reach out, let me know. I will, uh, I'll, you know, let, let you guys know anything that I know as soon as I know it. Awesome. Cool. All righty. So I think that was a good rundown. Don't you think, guys? Uh, I think that, uh, it's time for us to wind down. So Chad, if someone wanted to, uh, reach out to you, and, you know, ask any more questions, uh, comments, uh, you know, anything related to charging or maybe something, even getting something from Pro Progressive RC. You know, you also mentioned your YouTube channel. So feel free to, you know, to let us know all of the avenues that, you know, our audience can reach out to you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, if it's any products that Progressive RC sells, uh, please reach out at sales at ProgressiveRC.com. Uh, I answer just about every single email that comes in. And uh, if you have any product questions or, uh, you know, need, need some more info, just let me know. If you want to check out some more about the iChargers or uh, I, I do a lot of uh, crazy things on my channel, making long range FPV RC cars to making uh, autonomous planes uh, and, uh, and stuff like that. You can check out my channel. If you leave a comment on any of the charger videos asking questions about chargers, I, re I talk to people on my YouTube channel. You could totally leave a comment there. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll answer your question. It's Chad Rains FPV. All right. All right. Awesome. Thank you very much. And well, a few things uh, of housekeeping that we've kind of forgotten. Well, 
I have, and the first one I have, and, and the second one we have all forgotten about. But the first one, um, I hadn't checked the uh, the comments that we've gotten on Podbean. And uh, it uh, come to find out that, you know, there was a comment back when it, we talked with Ben Stork and Donny Pesci about the uh, oil-resistant Loctite, you know, just to confirm that Loctite 243 is the one that is oil-resistant. So th- thanks to Bare Metal Fabrication that put that comment. And I had totally forgotten about checking our comments and uh, mentioning that. So thanks to it to him to let us know and to confirm that it's uh, better late than never. And also a little bit of housekeeping on our end, because uh, we realized for a few months now that we haven't been giving out any contact information. So Darren, if uh, someone wants to get in touch with you, what would be a good way of doing so? Well, you can make an attempt to call me to try and reach me on Facebook, but I'll be honest, I'm not very good at answering Facebook messages within reasonable time frame. But you can try Darren Weens. But the best way, quickest way really is rchellydarren at gmail.com. Okay. All right. Frank, what about you? Catch me in the hangout. All righty. Cool. So uh, as for me, um, you can reach me out via email, toadiscoil at gmail.com. Um, I'm also Toad Coil on Helifreak. Yes, indeed. Uh, there's still people who check that. No, there I isn't. Cannot... <laughs> 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 me and five other yes. people, but still counts. <laughs> <laughs> you can still, you can also reach me out at my YouTube channel. Uh, I don't post very often. I hope to be posting more as the season starts and I can finally get out without freezing my thumbs. That's uh, Javier Moreno. Or you can also reach out to tinyurl.com slash toadiescoil. That'll take you to my YouTube uh, main landing page. Also, I'm on Instagram, toadiescoil as well, or Javier Moreno. You can try to search that as well. So those are several ways that you can reach out to me. And I try to also answer answer everything that comes my way. So um, I think that's uh, it for today. So... Chad, want to thank you again for being with us. I think that it was a very good, uh, very good discussion. Uh, you, of course, are very knowledgeable in uh, in all of these topics, so it was very helpful. And I hope that our listeners will also find this episode very helpful. Feel free to share, you know, if someone's new to the hobby or wants to know a little bit about uh, about these topics. So thank you very much, Chad. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So, um, so I think that's it for today. So, um, I think that's, uh, that's a goodbye. Thank you very much. And we'll be signing out. So see you later. Have a good night. See ya. Have a good day, guys. And there was much rejoicing. Mr. Moradieos! He's here, but he's not here. You see that ghost? Oh, I heard something. Can you guys hear me? Uh, I I think so. Or are you just a figment of our imagination? I could be. I could be. Okay, yeah. That wouldn't surprise me.